The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. If we haven't met, I'm John, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, Theo just prayed. We're going to pray again. You may not, uh, you may not be aware of this, um, but Tyson Lambertson is the pastor over at The Rock. Um, so I think Friday evening or Saturday morning, I got word that uh, he had a heart attack on Friday. Um, he's currently at, um, at a hospital over in Colorado. So let's just, we're going to take a minute and pray for him and pray for his family and pray for their church. Um, nobody wants that news. Um, so let's, uh, let's just pray uh, for them. God, we lift up this morning uh, Tyson. We lift up his family, especially uh, Tammy. We lift up their church body as this is, this is going to be a very disorienting uh, moment for them. So we just pray, we just pray for them. Uh, we ask that you would be with uh, the doctors and the nurses as they're working on him and treating him properly. I ask that you pray, be with the body uh, there at the rock as, as different people now do different things because of this, that you would give them the, the strength and the power that they need uh, to serve you faithfully. Also, God, help us as a, as a church body and not just as, not just or, as an organization, but as, as a people who are your body here at Westway. Help us to uh, be looking for ways to, to minister to the folks from the rock right now. Help us to pray for them. Help us to say kind words when we see them. And it's in your son's name. Amen. I want to encourage you this morning to open your Bibles to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. If you're new here, one of the things you'll, you'll probably notice is uh, we, we tend to read a lot of Scripture. We tend to read a lot of the Bible. And what you should know is that's, that's like on purpose. It's 100% on purpose. As I, as I became a Christian, one of the things that was a driving force in that was just attending a church that constantly read and talked about Scripture, constantly set, um, set Scripture before us. Um, God uses the Word um, of God, which is the Scriptures, uh, to tell us about the Word, Jesus. Um, this is how we learn and find out about who Jesus is. Jesus says, uh, he's talking to some teachers of the law, and he says, when you read these things, you read them because you think in them you find eternal life. Like the, the meaning and the purpose of life, you think you find them in scriptures. But Jesus says, they actually point uh, to me. Um, in 2 Timothy 3.16, we read that the, the scriptures are God-breathed and are useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness. So the more, the more we are exposed to God's word, the more we grow in our relationship with God and the more it confronts us, the more it convicts us, the more it teaches us, the more it rebukes us. In uh, Romans 12, chapter 1, we're going to read, or chapter 12, um, we're going to read that a little bit in that in a second. But it says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. God uses his word, the scripture, to renew our minds. We've been going through this series uh, called, big, big picture called The Rock, and the first Peter portion of it is called Life in Babylon. In, at the end of 1 Peter, in chapter 5, 
Peter says this, this is verse 13. Your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings and so does my son Mark. So, so Peter's writing this from Babylon and he's not really in Babylon. He's, he's identifying himself with, with the Old Testament prophets, kind of metaphorically saying, I'm in this place that, that nations all eventually become, regardless of what nation you are a part of, they all are, are going to become Babylon. And I'm writing this from Babylon, and I'm writing this to a people who are the exiles of the dispersion. We talked about that last week. People who have been, who have been exiled from where they are, from their normal place. But it's not like an Old Testament exile. When we read the Old Testament, we see the exile, we see that they're, they're in exile because of their sin. Because they were unfaithful God, because they were disobedient to God. God has allowed someone else to come in and take them away. And in that case, it was literal Babylon. But we, as Christians, that's who Peter is writing this to, we as Christians have been purposefully placed where we are for a reason. We have been placed in exile for a reason and for a purpose. And the only way we're going to know why that is, is if we first understand who God is. And that's, that's Peter's plan. We talked about this last week in 1 Peter 1. He tells them reality. You are exiles of dispersion. And when you need to figure out what you're supposed to do when you are exiled, first let me, let me just remind you about who God is. As your, as your rock, let me remind you who God is. Because of who God is, he's the father of Jesus. And what did he do? He gave us great mercy by saving us. See, everything else that we're going to read in First Peter is based on the reality of who God is. He's Jesus' father who saved us. And we have a mission despite this exile. Sometimes we think that we don't know what our purpose is. We're going through a really hard time in our life and we, we don't know what we're supposed to do. We don't know how we're supposed to act. We don't know what it means for us and we have a mission despite this exile. And again, First Peter says that that mission is to demonstrate a living hope, to live with great expectation, especially when we face hard times. Especially when we face hard times. Not only when things are easy, which they rarely are if we're all going to be honest with, with one another, right? But especially during hard times, especially during trials, we are supposed to live with great expectation. We are supposed to live differently. And the only reason we can do that, the only way we can do that is because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And what does that look like? How, how do we live in this way? Those are all of the so statements we read last week from chapter 1. We will live with great expectation when we are glad. Anne reminded me of this. We're not glad because of the trials. We don't look at our hardships and our realities and think to ourselves, oh, I'm so glad that this terrible thing is happening to me right now. That's not, that's not what Peter is calling his people to be glad about. He's telling them to be glad despite that. Not because of the trials, but because the trials give us an opportunity to reveal who we really are as Christians. See, that's why we should be glad. And if we're not glad, maybe when we're going through hardships and realities and, and we're not demonstrating faithfully what our lives are supposed to demonstrate because of Christ, then, then maybe we should be a little concerned. Like, oh man, I wish I was living in this way that I was supposed to live. 
I wish I was living with more concern. I wish I was able to face this trial and this temptation in a little bit of a different way. So we're not glad because of the trials, but because they're an opportunity for us to show who we're made of, to really live out. It's a test, right? As a runner, the test is, is not the daily run. The test is the race. That's what I'm going to see who I am made of. It's going to see, that's what I'm going to see what I'm made of. We do this when we live as God's obedient children, when we are holy as God is holy. We do this when we live in reverent fear. See, we remember that God saved us through the blood of Christ, his blood. And we weren't saved for nothing. Sometimes we can be in this space where we've received God's mercy, we've received God's grace, and and we think that, then the great mission of my life is is to just not sin anymore or to sin less than I did before. We haven't been saved for that. We've been saved for something more. We're supposed to show sincere love for one another as brothers and sisters. And this is is our eternal destiny. This This is where we're heading. We talked about this last week. What Peter is, is painting for us, the picture that Peter is painting for us, of just, is just how eternity is going to be. So what we ought to do as God's people is start living that way now. Start living with that hope now, acting like we believe these things are true. This is our, again, this is our eternal destiny. How do we do that? How, like practically speaking, What Peter has set for us is something that seems like it's really impossible for us to do. How do we do this? And I have three questions that we're going to wrestle with um, today. And I think these, the answers to these questions answer that other question of how. The first question that we want to wrestle with is, is who are we? Who, who am I? What, what is my identity? What is my primary identity? How, how do I identify myself above any other thing? Who am I? The second question is, whose are we? To whom and to what do we belong? Like, we're, like where do we belong? When I would take our kids to school in the morning, and they would get out, I would say, remember... Remember who you are and remember whose you are. Remember your identity and remember who you belong to. And it's only when we get those two que- the, an- the correct answer to those two questions, because there are lots of bad answers to those questions. But it's only when we get the correct answer to those two questions, who am I and whose am I, that we can know the answer to the third question, which is, what's my purpose? What, why, am I, why am I here? What's the reason for my existence? What's the reason that God has set me in the middle of this, of this place? In this, for, the, for the people that Peter was writing to, there's a reason that he set all of these Christians down amidst the Roman Empire. And all of the people around them who were, who were living in wickedness and, and living in evil and, and worshiping the empire, emperor and doing all of those things. Like there was a reason he set them in that place. 
And I think sometimes what, what we want to do is we want to jump to that purpose. What we want to do is we don't want to think about who we really are or whose we really are. We want, to, we want to jump to that third question. Like, why am I here? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? And what Peter is going to do, God, through Peter, is going to do in, second, in 1 Peter 2, is he's going to answer those questions. He's going to answer all three of them. So this is the space where we're just going to read a lot of scripture. So we're going to read uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 25. And you can follow along. You can follow along in your Bible. You can follow along on the YouVersion app. He's going to begin with another so statement. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen for God, by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Do you hear how he's answering these three questions? Who am I? Whose am I? What's my mission? What's my purpose? Verse 6, as the scriptures say, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. I love verse nine so much. But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or to the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. 
For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. So who are we? Whose are we? What's what's our purpose? What's our mission? Verse 1 tells us that, that we are a people who are steeped in evil behaviors that must be eliminated from our lives. So he's saying, we are a people, we are a people who are bent on evil. And if we want to be able to live in the way that God is calling us to, this sin must be eliminated. It must be dealt with and Christ deals with that on the cross and then we have a responsibility to live under the power and under the influence of the Holy Spirit and effort the elimination of that sin but we need to remember that we at our base are sinful people and then he says this in verse 2 he says that we are newborn babies in need of pure spiritual milk so if you want to live out this life that God has for us, we need to recognize that we are, we are just like babies. We need, to, we need to eat what's been given to us. We need to access the pure spiritual milk of Scripture and feed off of that and learn and grow. I love verse Five. He says that we are living stones. It's important to know that when he talks about you are living stones, um, you're a living stone in what God is building. Here's, here's what that means. You're not a living stone in what you are building. You are a part of something outside of yourselves. You are part of a much bigger story a much grander narrative. You're part of something that, that is amazing that has been offered to you. And it's something that's much bigger than you. It can be easy on a Sunday morning to come in here and, and think that Christianity is just about us and about the way we think about it and the way we practice communion every week and the way we do this and we do that. It can be really easy for us to be, to be sort of insular in the way that we approach our faith. But we're actually a part of something else. Which is why when, when we hear that, even if Tyson isn't another pastor, when we hear that another Christian is going through hardship, 
Like we have a kinship. We have a relationship. We are a part of that. We can take time out of our time and say, you know, we probably ought to pray for the rock. They're not our competition. We might think they're our competition, but they're not our competition. See, we, Westway, they, the rock, like they're living stones in what God is building. We are a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And that's not just the big picture church. That's for each and every one of us. If you're a Christian, you're a part of something that's bigger than yourself. You're part of something that God is building. Which sometimes maybe may explain why you don't like what is happening. Because you're not in charge. How many of you have ever worked for someone else? See a show of hands. How many of you have ever worked for someone else? How many, keep your hands up for a second. Look around. How many of you have liked every single thing your boss wanted you to do? Where'd all your hands go? See, when we think about this relationship with God and what God is building, it might be that God is building something that's outside of ourselves that we don't like. Which is why when we read the word and it rebukes us and we feel bad about it, well, maybe God is building something in you. Maybe God is communicating something to you. But we're not just living stones. We are, we are his holy priests. And what we're going to start to see happen now throughout the rest of this chapter is we're, we're, we're learning who and whose, and then we're going to start to see our mission and our purpose, and it's going to start to be woven in to the story. Peter writes that we are his holy priests offering holy sacrifices. See, now there's purpose. You are living stones, and you, if you're a follower of Christ, you are a holy priest. And what did the priests do? They offered sacrifices. I've been listening to the first five books of the Bible. I've been now, I feel like I'm stuck in that loop of, I just want to hit fast forward and get past Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Like I'm ready to just skip it. But this morning as I'm driving over, and again, I'm listening to probably the third or fourth run through of all of the sacrifices, of all of the offerings. And as I'm pulling into the parking lot, I'm like, thank God, I do not, this is not how I have to approach God. As I'm listening to Moses and reading the story of Moses and Aaron about how they're, they're scattering blood all over the place. Aren't you glad we don't do that anymore? Aren't you glad you don't have to bring an animal into the temple, into the tabernacle for it to be offered so that you can, you can have access to God? Oh, and by the way, you wouldn't have access to God. I would access God for you if I were a priest. So what's happening here is we are all holy priests and we are offering sacrifices. And this is Romans 12. One and two. And so, dear brothers, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is the, truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. 
Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And how many of us want to know God's will for our lives, but aren't doing anything to allow God to transform us in the way that we think? Do you see how we want to skip to the purpose? Do you see how we want to jump ahead? Like, we don't want to know who God is. We don't want to know who we are. We just want him to tell us what we're supposed to do with our life. And there's an order here. And as holy priests, we offer sacrifices. And the number one sacrifice that we offer is not a, not a bull or a bird on behalf of someone else. We offer ourselves. As Christians, we offer ourselves This is our sacrifice. It's me. It's my will. It's my desires. It's my thoughts. It's my actions. This is what we offer. This is what we bring. This is what God wants of us. Verse 9. We learn that we are chosen people. We're royal priests. There's that word again. We're a holy nation. We're God's possession called out of darkness into his wonderful light. I want you to see that this is plural. As we talked about last week, Peter is writing to a people. And we make a terrible mistake when we read the letters in the New Testament. And we see the word you and we think it's individualized. We make a huge mistake when we read that and we think Peter is talking to me. What Peter is doing is is he's identifying them, God is identifying them as a people, as a group, as a gathering of individuals. And then here's this purpose to show others the goodness of God. See, that's why. Who are we? Whose are we? What's my purpose? To show others the goodness of God. That's my purpose. That's your purpose. And you might do that in a way that's different than what I'm going to do it, but that's our mission. That's our purpose. A few texts came to my mind. The first is 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 7. These are some verses we've talked about before, although for this one it's been a while. All praise to God. See, see what he does? This is Paul, by the way. Do you, see where, do you see where Paul starts? All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is, is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. I think one of the greatest things that could ever happen in your life when you are enduring hardship is to understand that your hardship may not be about you. Isn't that the first question we ask? What did I do to deserve this? What did I do wrong to deserve this? Verse 4, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. 
Even when we are weighed down for trouble, with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. What would it be like for you to stop seeing your hardship as about you? To set yourself aside just for a minute and ask, what, what is God trying to accomplish in this? Who, who, what is God preparing me for? What if God is going to set me down into a place of people who are suffering in the exact same way as me? What example are they going to see in me? Now we're starting to get to uncomfortable conversations, aren't we? When the world watches us deal with hardships and realities, what do they see? How do they experience you when you're facing challenges? Then there's one more set of verses I want to read. This is 1 John 4, 11 and 12. Dear friends, since God loved us so that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. See, this is what it looks like for us to demonstrate God's love. That people would look at us and see a demonstration of God's love. So, how are you doing with that? Whatever you're facing in your life, however you deal with it, how are you doing? What would, what would other people say? Parents, what would your kids say? What would your coworkers say? As you go through life and you go to work and you're getting a cup of coffee in the morning. What are you talking about? What are you communicating about your reality? Verse 10 tells us that we are God's people, recipients of his mercy. See, this is, this is who we are. God, through Peter, is telling us who we are as Christians. He's giving us an identity. Verse 11 God, through Peter, tells us that we are temporary residents and foreigners. We are temporary residents and foreigners. If you're a Christian, you are a temporary resident and foreigner. So what that means is you're, you're sort of in a place that, that you don't belong. You're sort of in a place that, that you shouldn't be. How do we deal with that? How do we live in the world but not of the world? Peter says that we should keep away from worldly desires that wage war against our souls. I think something that would be really important for us to do is recognize that, that we are in a battle. Something that would be really important for us to recognize is that we are in a war. In chapter, five, first, in chapter 5, Peter is going to talk about this. He says, the enemy is, is going around like a prowling lion looking for whomever he may devour. See, we're in 
a battle. So as a people who are, who are foreigners and temporary residents, we need to recognize that we are in a war. This is why he told us earlier to prepare our minds for actions and self-control. What that means is I ought to wake up every morning in a mindset of I'm at war. I'm fighting a battle and I need to be prepared for that. I need to be ready for that. I need to be taking action for that. And sometimes I just wake up and I just kind of just start rolling through my day like it's any other day, not really thinking about any of this. If you, if you, want, if you want to know what you can pray about for me, like, man, self-control. Self-control would be a great thing for you to pray for me. That I would take advantage of the time that I have to be prepared to be ready. That when I wake up in the morning, I'm ready. He says, live properly. This will lead to God's praise. See, that's why we live properly. Sometimes we think that if we live properly, we're, it's Jesus plus all of my good behaviors. Jesus needs my help. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be a good person. That's not why we live properly. We live properly so that God is praised. This will be a popular one. Submit to all human authority. Submit to all human authority. Even the ones you don't like. It doesn't say like them. It doesn't say love them. In the way that we think about love, it says, submit to them. But don't conform to it. A couple weeks ago here at the office, the, the doorbell rang and it was someone from the Scotts Bluff uh, sewage department. So I kind of opened the door and um, usually those people come and see Jim. So um, I, 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 was, I was really rude, honestly. Like I opened the door and, and I kind of like turned away because I was going to go find Jim because that's like that's who that guy normally comes to see. And then like I realized for a second, oh yeah, that's right. I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to be nice to this guy. Like I'm supposed to be nice to people. So I turned around and said, hey, I'm John. And he gave me his name and told me what department he was with. He was from the sewage department. And I said, would you like for me to get Jim for you? And he said, no, I just wanted to let you know, and this was, this was really specific. Um, he said, I just wanted to let you know that we appreciate the way uh, that you guys monthly turn in your grease trap statistics at the city. I was like, okay, do you want me to go get Jim for you? <laughs> He's like, no, I literally stopped by to tell you that we appreciate you being on top of your grease trap statistics. So then I, then I was like, okay, thank, thanks for coming by. And then I immediately went and found Jim. And I said, hey, I just kind of described to you what happened. And Jim said, um, he said, well, that's kind of our job. That's what it means to give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Like Christians submit to the authority of their governments by faithfully turning in the grease trap statistics. Like that, 
Like, that's how we do it. Christians submit to their authority, and I got a real problem with this one, by going the speed limit. Like, this is how, this is how we submit to the authorities over us. Like, this is it. This is so simple for us. Christians submit to our authority by, by having car insurance. Like, this is, this is so easy for us. Right? We just, we're just good citizens. We follow the grease trap policy until they tell us to worship the state. And then we don't. Right? Last week I said, we're talking about Babylon. Daniel's in Babylon. All the people are submitting to the authority until they build the giant statue. And at a certain time, we're going to blow the horn and everyone is going to come out and everyone's going to bow down to the statue. And Daniel's like, not me. See, I can submit to authority without conforming to it. This is what it looks like. And then verse 16 says, you are free. This is your identity. But you're God's slaves. That's whose you are. You see that? So what God is doing through Peter is he's, he's answering these three questions. And when I talk to people of all ages, and they talk about the issues that they're facing in their lives, every one of their issues can be boiled down to these three questions. Who am I? Whose am I? Like, what, do, what group do I belong in? What's my purpose? I would challenge you as a Christian, when you're, when you're talking to someone and they're talking about the, the, the struggles that they're facing in their lives, they're talking about issues that they're struggling with, sin issues, I'll bet you can connect them to one of those three questions. Who am I? Whose am I? What's my purpose? What's my mission? And the correct answer is only found in Scripture. And if you disagree with me on that, like we just got to look at the world and see how the world answers these three questions. There are a multitude of ways in which these questions are answered. What you ought to do, like a fun thing, like when you're watching a television show, when you're watching a movie, you ought to determine how is this movie, how is this show answering these three questions? Because they are. Everything that we participate in, everything that we watch, like has an answer to these three questions. They're, they're telling you an answer. They're giving you an identity. They're talking about belonging and they're talking about purpose. And then what Peter's going to do over this chapter and next chapter, this is one of those chapter uh, breaks where I feel like the person that did this really did a disservice in 1 Peter about breaking the chapter in the way that, um, in the way that he did. What Peter's going to do is he's going to be, he's going to be very specific. 
in what this looks like. And, and through the end of chapter two, he's going to talk about one, like one specific situation. And what if, like when I'm reading all of this and I'm asking myself as a person who, who is in one of these areas where Peter wrote this letter, like I'm asking myself, okay, but how do I live this out practically? Right? So let's say I am a slave in the Roman Empire and 30% of the people who were alive um, at this point who lived in the Roman Empire were slaves. So if I'm a slave in the Roman Empire and I have a non-Christian master, like how do I live? What am I supposed to do? Peter doesn't tell them to have a slave revolt. Okay, what Peter says to the slaves of non-Christian masters is that you should suffer for doing good. Like you're in this situation. You are an exile. You are a follower of Christ who is serving a non-Christian master. You must suffer for doing good. You must endure patiently because that's how God is pleased. And see, I think now there's starting to be something for us in this situation because as slaves of God, like this comes in this, in this chapter right after he's just told us that we are slaves of God. As slaves of God, we are to suffer for doing good and endure patiently and God is pleased. So if you're doing the right thing as a Christian in 2023, it's possible that you are going to suffer for that. It's part of the plan. God will be pleased. And then Peter talks about Jesus. We are to mimic Jesus. And just, just so we all know what that means, Peter gives a list. He says, he never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. What would that be like for you if you left your case, whatever your case is, in God's hands? What would that be like? When you hear people are talking about you behind your back, instead of feeling this intense need to defend yourself, what would that be like for you to leave your case in God's hands? Just let God handle it. So that's what Jesus did. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. See, what Peter is trying to communicate here is who you are, whose you are, and what your purpose is. Jesus has saved you, and this is the point like we hit like every other sermon. What's, what's my response? What's my response to being saved? Again, is it just a coast until I die? not really engage in the mission and purpose of my life? What's, what am I supposed to do in response to what God has done? I think the question is, 
that Peter is presenting to us is, do you trust him? He's done all of these things, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Like, you know you are a sinner. You repented of your sins. You want to live a life for him, but do you trust him? Not just for your salvation, but do you trust him? Do you trust God enough that, again, when someone talks badly about you, that you're just going to let God handle that? Do you trust God enough that the person that you didn't vote for is in office over you? Do you trust God in that? Comfortably trust God in that? Are you acting in that trust? And if we're wondering what that looks like, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is more than just about being saved of our sins and not going to hell. This is about placing your trust in who Jesus is. Trusting him with your life. Trusting him that he is enough. Trusting him that I don't have to go back to the way that I used to live because I'm trusting that God has set me free. I'm going to trust in that. I'm not going to try and earn my salvation. I'm not going to think it's Jesus plus something else. I'm just going to trust Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, like... That's what it looks like to trust him. That's what it looks like to come to him, to accept him as the guardian of your soul, is to trust him. And if you are a Christian, it looks like doing good so that others will see who God is. Like that's how we demonstrate it. That's how we demonstrate that we trust him. We don't get wrapped up in all of the things that all of the, all of the normal people get wrapped up in in our lives, get caught up in ridiculous arguments and things that divide us and things that separate us. We trust God. We trust him. We live like we, live like we believe this is true. We act like this is true because we're going to trust that it is. I would encourage you today to think about these questions. Who am I? Whose am I? And what's the mission or the purpose of my life? And as you're evaluating that, 2 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, how does Peter answer those questions for you? Let's pray. God, this morning we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the way that you answer our questions. And I pray that those of us who are, who are wrestling with, with our identity and all of the ways that we think that and ponder that in 2023, help us to see that at its root is our identity given by you, who you say we are. I pray for those of us who are, who are searching for a place to belong. That we would see that what you offer your sons and daughters, what you offer to those who place faith in Jesus is a place to belong. To be a part of something. 
that's bigger than, than any normal thing that we could be a part of, but a place of real meaning and purpose. And that's the third one, God. We pray that you would help us to see what our meaning and purpose is. That we would not try and build our purpose and answer that last question without understanding the first two. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.